Hi, this is Jesse Johnson of Avagachi, the community-owned NFT gaming protocol. I'm here on the Edge of NFT, the innovative podcast that brings you everything worthwhile in the NFT space. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT Curious listener. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how to find a sitter for your NFT pet and keep your kinship score flying high. Why you should keep an ear to the ground for when today's guest mints NFTs of the childhood comic book characters he created. And check out today's hot topic for a new and interesting player in the game of tracking rarity metrics. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Jesse Johnson, the founder of Avagachi, an open source community-owned NFT gaming protocol that enables true asset ownership for gamers. Jesse, aka Golden Cross, is among the earliest visionaries pioneering NFT product design. Prior to launching Avagachi, Jesse co-founded Ethereum's first NFT minting platform, Mintable. Jesse also created Bullionix, the first NFT to be staked directly with ERC-20 tokens. Now Jesse is focused on the Gachiverse, Pixelcraft Studios' ambitious flagship experience. Launched in March 2022, this DeFi RPG delivers a number of innovative use cases that only a Web3-based game can. Introducing an on-chain sharing company, the Gachiverse is poised to be crypto's first mass-adopted metaverse, all built on top of the Avagachi protocol. Jesse, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you, Ethan. Good to be here. Great to have you. And I got to say, there's some similarities to the genre of branding to, you know, our Edge of NFT logo and, and, and our sort of intro on YouTube. So, you know, there's some synergy there for sure. Vibes. Kindred spirit projects. Yes. Absolutely. This has been, you know, really a long time coming, Jesse, admiring what you've been building in this space for a while. And it was only a matter of time before we get you on the show. And it's an honor to have you here. You know, the vision of Avagachi is really something special. But before we go into that, let's just talk about where it all began. What's your genesis story? Yeah, I kind of got started with, I was very fortunate to be exposed to Bitcoin very early on, talking relatively speaking, like 2013, 2014, just was curious about what we could see in a, a digital life and and how basically sound money could play a better role in the economy and, and how things could be done better without a central bank. So that was my starting point, as so many were after kind of the, what was it, the financial crisis of 2008 and all of those problems that came with it. I was graduating right out of university when all that was going down. So I had a very distinct reason to kind of question things and think about where how could things be done better? And so I was open-minded to Bitcoin and the solutions it offered. And I was living overseas at the time, basically after the financial crisis. And I graduated, I looked around the US and I didn't see much opportunity at the time. So I had done a semester abroad in mainland China. And I, you know, the, the Beijing Olympics had just happened. The economy was roaring there. And I said, okay, I'm going to follow up on that and uh, go spend some time there see what I can uncover. And uh, so I actually got involved with some of those in real life meetups with um, the Bitcoin community in China and ended up working for one of the oldest Bitcoin crypto exchanges. I think it's China's second oldest one. They rebranded, but they're today called ZB Group. Ended up doing BD and, and listings and some product improvements and, and things like that for their platform. And that was my kind of first few years in crypto was working on the digital asset side of the exchanges. And also was intellectually curious. I was going uh, at, for my law degree. I did a, a Chinese civil and commercial law degree uh, master's and ended up dedicating the thesis research to Bitcoin regulations. It was all primary research that hadn't really been done at the time. And uh, through that process, started reading more about smart contracts. Basically was like, okay, this is 
this is like some next level stuff. Now we're now we're beyond just currency. We're talking about like extrapolating and eliminating middlemen and completely reorganizing so many different economies this could touch. So uh, very exciting. And and that's when obviously I just was like, I'm going to dive into Ethereum and see what we can do here. I don't really write the code. So I was more looking at it from the front end side, right? What can we do with the user interface? What can we do with experiences? My background, even before all of this was more like from the creative artistic side, musician by heart and an artist really. So the way I approached it was more like, how can we create valuable experiences that uh, you can't have uh, without crypto or smart contracts? And that really was like, it's all un, you know, uh, it was all brand new ground to break. So the sky was the limit. And, you know, after Ethereum launched and you started to see some of the the, uh, ICOs and all of that come out, most of it was all just PDFs that were fundraised on top of, right? And so that was pretty disheartening, but there were a lot of good PDFs. I'll give them that. Like there were a lot of good ideas, but that led to me kind of looking for more and really respecting those that were actually building something, even if they were very kind of proof of concept, smart contracts. In those early days, I guess an example would have been like prediction markets and some of the early like exploration there of what you could do with with funding predictions instead of typical voting or polling, but actually like aligning incentives to choose the right person for some job. Very interesting stuff. And so somewhere along the way, I was doing listings for ZB and I, I met some teams at some conferences or something that did not have ERC-20 tokens to list. They're like, no, we don't want to list on your exchange. Uh, we have this thing called NFTs. We're, we're playing with these NFTs over here. And so I was like, oh, what's that? And why don't you want to list on my exchange? <laughs> and so going through that was very fortunate for me because I got to, to meet some of these very, very early projects and get to be exposed to the idea of NFTs as a way of like having digital culture have a place on the blockchain. And that seemed very, very important intuitively right away. I was like, this, this is like a whole different pillar to the economy or the blockchain's landscape, completely separate from what Bitcoin had had already done. So that was kind of where I got started and met up. I linked up with uh, Zach Burks, who was building out a very alpha version of Mintable at the time. And that just seemed like the perfect uh, project to leave my post at ZB at and go full-time on uh, building out something special that could help a lot of people. And, and Mintable's original use case was strictly, it was the first place you could go to upload your own metadata and mint your own Ethereum NFT without any coding you know, background. So me, somebody who doesn't write Solidity, really appreciated that and wanted to uh, contribute to that how I could. So we ended up moving to Singapore, joining uh, the Long Hash Accelerator program there and kind of bootstrapping it from there. Mintable continues to live on today. Zach still runs that and it's, it's multi-chain now and very, very busy. But for myself, I went on to work on BullionX. I really wanted to tinker with some of the other more granular ideas of what you could do with NFT standards. So it was the first time you take a 721 and stake ERC-20 tokens into it. And the premise there was there was a Singapore company called Digix and they had gold-backed stablecoins, basically gold-backed stablecoins. And so it's like, cool, but stablecoins are really boring. They're probably the most boring part of the entire crypto landscape. What if you could take boring stablecoins and wrap them in a very interesting, compelling NFT and it would basically be a digital piggy bank for your stable coins. That's also collectible. Now you have this speculative collectible uh, value on top of your stable value. And so that was the premise of BullionX. Uh, you know, very cool project, uh, very limited, very rare mints that were very collaborative. Again, I didn't want to do all the art myself. I did some of it, but I worked with a lot of the crypto artists in the space that were already up and coming or established. And it was still very early days then. This is, you know, pre- NFT breakout. We're talking like 2017, 2018. So it was cool. That is definitely OG status when it comes to NFTs. You know, for a lot of people, they didn't hear about NFTs until 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think BullionX went live in the summer of, man, my years, they all blur together, but it might have been 2019 by the time that went live. But even then, still pretty early, a lot of R&D went into those smart contracts and stuff. And we ended up working with you know, people like Wizard X and, and uh, many, many others in the space that were like kind of 
just getting their feet wet, just getting on super rare, things like that. And they made really cool rare 3D gold coins that had actual gold inside them. So that was that was great. But gold doesn't really like have a huge, if it was a Venn diagram, you don't have like a ton of gold bugs and a ton of Ethereum people hanging out necessarily. So it was a very niche market inside of a niche market. And so we kind of, the team I'd put together to work on that, I mean, Zach helped with the smart contracts and then Coder Dan, who's my co-founder at Avagachi came in and he helped out initially with a lot of front-end work with myself. We did leaderboards, all sorts of things like that, really got into the UX of how you melt the gold and create this cool product. But we started having conversations about his global hackathon where he'd he just won first place at Ave sponsored hackathon. It was like, you know, I'm getting to know Stanny and these guys that at, uh, run Ave and DeFi Summer is, you know, at this point taking off. It'd be really cool to build something like Bullion X, but, but with DeFi inside of it instead of gold. And so that's where we started looking at, okay, Ave tokens, if you hold them, they, they natively generate yield. Like you have a thousand Ave link in your wallet today. You have a thousand and one in your wallet tomorrow. You didn't even have to push a button. So I love intuitive products like that. And there's nothing more intuitive than Aave's like yield generating tokens. So we're like, yeah, let's put those inside of, you know, uh, an Ave, what eventually became an Avagachi. And so we put out a call for the right art to reflect the kind of sentiment and aesthetic of what we were looking for. And uh, we kind of had a checklist of things we wanted initially. We knew it would be similar to Bullion X in that you'd stake. We knew we wanted it to be on chain, like kind of the team at Avastars had done recently. This was when Avastars had put their NFTs 100% in the smart contracts on chain. And we thought that's very important. So there's no reliance on the visuals being stuck on some server somewhere that could eventually go down. And so that kind of informed the aesthetic choices. We want lightweight pixel art to be our kind of go-to for the project. And also like from an aesthetic standpoint, I think it was important that art kind of reflected the sentiment of the wider space, which I think if you zoom out, even now we're kind of in that very naive, in a good way, mostly good way, kind of naive, like Web3 is going to change the world phase. And I, I hope it does, but it kind of made sense to start with the 8-bit gaming and kind of reflect where we are right now in that in that space. And so that was kind of what we did. We put out the call. We met Zbot, one of the top crypto artists in pixel art particularly. We looked at probably 20 different submissions from 20 different artists or so. And his just immediately, like it had that quality of a very mimetic, cute Avogachi you want to get to know. And so like, it, it was kind of hands down. It's really easy at that point. Luckily, he's a wonderful person to work with. So the three of us got together. Then we reached out to Nick Mudge, who is the author of the ERC-998 standard. So we want a heavy hitter on the smart contracts and he definitely qualifies as that. And so he came in and started building out the initial contracts for Avogachi. Because of him, we're able to take wearables, which are 1155 NFTs, and equip them to the 721. So you have NFTs layered on top of NFTs. So it's kind of when people say Avogachi sometimes is you know complex. It's like, yeah, there's a 721 with 1155s on the outside as wearables and ERC-20s inside as the uh, piggy bank. So it, literally every major standard is can be tied up in one Avogachi uh, at the for, same time. And by the way, for our listeners who aren't on YouTube, which you should totally check out our YouTube channel as well, Jesse is rocking his, his Bitcoin sort of shirt today with the entire Bitcoin white paper, which is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. I think I've seen it before, but now that I see it on you, I'm having some FOMO. I'm probably going to have to get one myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to ask one question before Ethan jumps in. We'll get to know you more in our next segment. Where did you go to school and what did you major in? Yeah, so originally grew up around Chicago, went to school in Tampa, Florida, Eckert College, wonderful liberal arts school, um, great programs, great mentorship. I majored in business management and had a minor in Southeast Asian studies. And so that kind of explains the, the whole detour through Asia where I ended up spending the next 10 years. Very so. cool. I, I also went to the most liberal arts school I could find, which was the College of William Mary, and then chose the, the least liberal arts major, which was business and information technology. So you get a little of both, which is really great because I think at the end of the day, it's creative thinking plus technology that equals disruption. And yeah, so that well, makes sense. Now that I know 
like your your roots there, liberal arts slash, you know, business guy, it's all coming together. All right. Yeah. Sounds like we had a similar strategy there. It's like, let's strike a balance here. So a business nice. degree from a liberal arts school. Let's do it. <laughs> really cool stuff. I'm in Chicago here and I, I grew up around here as well. So we'll chat about that later. I can't dox myself too much right now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know, it, that was great, by the way, you know, just kind of the answer to the last question. It, it all, you know, as you said, it all blurs together, you know, it, it, from hindsight, everything makes sense. You know, this turned into that, turned into that. Of course, I'm sure along the way, you had no idea what was going to come next at each point in the journey. And that's kind of fun to see how it all kind of connected in retrospect. So yeah, you got us to the point where you developed Avagachi. It's a yield generating NFT that doubles as a digital pet, which... Yeah sounds really kooky, but awesome. <laughs> Can you tell us just a little bit how that works? Like the, how it actually yeah. works? Yeah. And like to play off the idea of a digital pet, that's kind of like a whole subgenre of NFTs, right? This crypto pet and crypto kitties really kicked off the whole NFT conversation to a new kind of new level after the early experimenters, they quote unquote, were the mainstream first household name. And I had a bunch of crypto kitties. Uh, in fact, it was the very first NFT I ever had was a crypto kitty gifted to me to pay for lunch, no less. It was cool, but they just sat in my MetaMask, even on my mobile phone. I, I would only take it out to show somebody and be like, this is what an NFT is. And other than that, I, I was like, this doesn't really live up to what a pet is. Like, It's not really a crypto pet to me. At least I'm not interacting with it daily. And a a real pet would be something you interact with quite often. So as we were going through that process of designing what an Avogadro can be, and I had that checklist, there was another one on the list where it's like, let's make a better crypto pet. Like that's a big part of this. And so what would a, bit, a better crypto pet look like? And that's kind of where the name comes from. You, you know, the reference to Tamagotchi, Avogadro. We wanted to really address that in an on-chain way if possible. And so the big idea was this idea of a kinship store. This was kind of the, the proto idea that branched out to everything else. And the kinship score is simply a on-chain measurement of, it's a measurement of how often you interact on-chain with your Avogachi. And so typically you could be changing its wearables, but most of the time it's, it's how often you pet it. So we always say you got to pet your Avogachi. And so you go into the Avogachi.com UI, you got your Avogachi floating there waiting for you to greet you. You got a couple options, one of which is pet. And so when you pet it, you actually do a transaction, you submit a transaction on chain, and it updates the metadata to uh, increase your kinship score by one every time you do that. And there's also like an internal clock, so you can only do that once every 12 hours. And so this was a really cool premise that made the Avogadro quite unique. And the idea was stickiness, right? From a, a UX perspective, you want to have a sticky product. And, but not in a deceitful way, like also like you really want to have a relationship with your NFT and, and feel like other than just uh, flipping it and speculating on OpenSea, we actually want you to be quite attached if possible to your NFT to the point that you don't even want to flip it. And I think so, we've achieved that. So the natural question is people get attached to so many NFTs is, you know, I'm sure people have asked, Every, can they hire a babysitter when they're sort of often doing other things? Yeah. And that, and because it's on chain, people have actually built those services. So there's like Gachi pet, Gachi care. These are different services that will pet your Gachi for you. It's pretty cool. So yeah, the, the premise was, you know, we had to look at what would make you attached even more than just it's beautiful art. And it was kinship and naming it. So you name your Avogadro. It's like a kind of like an ENS name. When you name it, it goes into a registry and nobody else can have that name. So there's a couple of things you can do to really personalize it, make it yours, obviously dressing it up. Literally, you're making it yours at that point. So it's different than most PFPs where you know you get your generative art. That's the cool traits it has and that's it. In this case, they kind of start naked or as we say, naked. And then you build all your uh, your wearables around it as you see fit. Right on. And I know, unfortunately, you're tied up deep in the dev process uh, during NFTLA, so you couldn't make it. Is that where the the land side of it comes in? Is that was that the recent sort of build that that mm -hmm. you guys were cooking up? Yeah. So the gotchis, as we're talking about now, this all happened a year, year and a half ago. I think the first generation launched in March of 2020, and then there was a second generation in the summer. So Haunt 1 and Haunt 2. 
And then just recently, NFTLA was going on literally the weekend we were launching the Gachiverse. And this has been a long time coming. We had to stay at our stations for that and get the team to uh, to ship the, you know, we had to ship that right. And luckily it, it shipped without an issue. We had an amazing launch. Our users, you know, they always say, never ask a Web3 builder what their daily active users is, right? That's like the joke is it's it's hard to get get many, but we've had an amazing month since it launched. That weekend at NFTLA, like leading up to it, we were averaging honestly about 5,000 month uh, daily active users visiting the site to pet their Avogachis, check statistics, or trade in our marketplace. As soon as that game went live, I mean, it's like hockey stick. I think we had 80,000 people after the first weekend coming into the site. It's been absolutely nuts ever since. And so now we've got at any given moment, probably about 4,000, north of 4,000 Avogachis running around in the Gachiverse, this kind of 2D RPG style game, any moment of the day, any time zone, just consistent playing. And it's, it's new highs every couple of days. And how do the land parcels get generated and why are they important to the play to earn model that you built? We kind of want to take our lessons learned from that first year with Avogachi and bring some of that to the land kind of whatever you want to say, the land subgenre, right? So there's this idea of land and we've always been kind of a DeFi NFT project, right? You got the DeFi Ave aspect inside the Avogachis. And honestly, one of the highest points of friction for the original UX of an Avogachi is if you uh, want to summon one, you have to basically like open a pack of cards, you open a portal door, you get 10 randomly generated Avogachis and you choose your favorite one and you bring it to life. And you do that by staking the Ave tokens inside. Because like I don't have the liquidity to put millions of dollars worth of Ave inside of all 10,000 Avogachis. So the user does that, right? They put the initial money in to bring it to life. That's a lot of friction. You know, it's worth it in the end. People do it and it, it's worked out well, but it's a lot of friction. So we inverted that for the land. So coming back to the land, what we said is, look, here's a land sale. We've got an amazing world we've built here. We've onboarded people from Capcom, people from World of Warcraft. We've got a 45 people now full-time on the team at Pixelcraft building this game out. Well, the land twist is there's already play-to-earn tokens buried inside the land. So you're going to literally like kind of clash a clan style. You're going to farm or mine those out of the land later. And because they're brand new tokens, we were able to mint them ahead of time and have those waiting for you inside your land parcel. So that's kind of the twist. When you mm -hmm. get a piece of land, it, it represents your physical space in the Gachiverse, your opportunity to build and customize, but it also is this opportunity to get access to these play to earn tokens. Very cool. So, you know, you got people here, you're getting thousands of people at any given time at this point. What are the incentives, I suppose, for for those people as well as on your side, just for you know, incentivizing the gameplay activity over just kind of simply owning an Apogachi? Yeah, well, one big thing we haven't touched on is even from day one, even before the NFTs, we launched the GHST token, our ghost token. And that was our eco-governance token from day one, launched on a bonding curve, which meant it's that did a number of things, but basically it meant that we had a a decentralized Kickstarter from day one with a single pair. Die tokens go in, die stable coins, and mint, uh, and that mints new ghost tokens. So the supply actually fluctuates up and down. But that is the beginning of the DAO. From literally the moment that bonding curve was, was put out, we had a DAO. So this is a DAO-built game, first and foremost. And that's why we say Avogachi is a protocol. Anybody can build on top of the Avogachi NFTs and smart contracts. And then the Gachiverse is Pixelcraft's flagship title that we're building in partnership with the DAO. And so the DAO is literally like, instead of a white paper, we have what we call the Gachi Bible. And we publish a different chapter every month that has like things like traits analysis, land gameplay, estate management, all these things. And then the DAO comes in and they give us instant feedback. They throw things out, they add things in, and we literally build this game together. And so... You know, a lot of us, I think our dream job would be to be a game developer, a game maker, right? I always wanted to work for Nintendo or something. And so if you have that kind of mindset, we literally have like brain surgeons who on their off hours are, you know, contributing to the development of the Gachiverse now. And so it's really cool. We also have people that are, you know, like 
bagging groceries, and they're also contributing. Let's hope to they're the not doing it while performing the brain <laughs> surgery. I always, oh wait, yeah. I gotta check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they had a bad day in the Gachiverse, you know, they gotta go, you know, do surgery. <laughs> Could be bad, but yeah, it's it's really cool. Like no barriers to entry. The best ideas rise to the top, and everybody gets to contribute to the final form of what this game will be. And so, what I always try to do at Pixelcraft is we try to make a framework, and then we let the DAO fill in what that's going to be. So. Um, but that's why we have one of the most active DAOs in the world. We're on Polygon, so transactions are cheap, friction is down, and you go to our snapshot. I mean, it's not like we're pretending to be the Federal Reserve and tweak interest rates. This is like we're building a game. So there's so many parts where people can get involved directly and contribute great ideas, have an immediate impact. Totally. So I'm not sure if, if you know Miles over at Decentral Games, but you know, I think you guys have a lot of similar aspects of your vision in terms of, of mass adoption. They're at a point where they have, you know, tens of thousands of folks playing poker in Decentraland every day, which is super cool. And, you know, on this sort of topic of mass adoption, I'm just curious what you view as the most important elements that will, will drive that future both for Agachi verse and, and across the board with everything folks are working on in terms of getting more, more folks into the space. There's been a lot of articles recently about how, you know, the OGs, that market's softening a little bit, but the, the broader market is sort of picking up. So mm. one of your thoughts on that topic. Yeah. When it comes to design and deciding where to put your, our energy, we've always had the mindset that, we should embrace blockchain and crypto and the terminology and everything that comes with that. Basically, like voting in the DAO or deciding, you know, contributing to staking our ghost tokens, anything like that, bridging, that's all part of the game, actually. Like people want to have reasons to interact with smart contracts. They want to learn about these different aspects of DeFi and NFTs. And so if you incorporate it and you make it real out front, push it to the front, that's our approach. And we think it's a lot more interesting than the opposite, which might be like more of a, like Dapper Labs, for example, with NBA Top Shot. They kind of have this wonderful UI, very polished, that you don't even know you're using a blockchain if, if they didn't tell you and they don't tell you, right? It's like credit card swipe, super nice UX. They have their own chain that you basically don't even know it's a blockchain. For us personally, that's like, I think a far less interesting route. I'd get bored to death. That's our like kind of design principles, like push and embrace Web3. And, and that means embracing the crypto terminology. Yes, you're going to interact with smart contracts. If you want to excel at this game, you better learn about staking, that kind of thing. Mm. And yeah, have fun with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because we, you know, we, the, the word easy button probably comes up three times on every episode of this, you know, as we talk about the transition, you know, to the general public for Web3. And I often do think about it that first way, with the way you're talking about with Dapper Labs, or people won't, won't know what's going on. You know, they're just kind of like JavaScript or something. Okay, I can interact with a website, but I don't need to know about JavaScript. And, and that's kind of how the web works. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think what I'm pulling out from what you're saying, there's something about this revolution that requires participation, like requires awareness, right? Like, oh, decentralized finance is a thing because being oblivious to the way finance works is kind of not the, it's not the ethos of web of web three, right? It's very interesting. And, and I think it is, I think it is really, you know, especially in the creator community, raising awareness about how finance work is a huge plus of, of the developments here. You look at like just MetaMask, there's like, it was almost six months ago now, I think they broke a million active users a month, something like that, like significant numbers and by no means mainstream adoption, right? Like it's not on everybody's phone when you go down the street, but that's still significant. And so our mindset is we want to get to a hundred thousand monthly active users in the Gachiverse over the next quarter. And if we can just achieve that, the 
it's such a different world. Like you look at what happened with Axie Infinity, not, not the most recent thing to hack, but if you look at the numbers and the raw amount of value that's generated from even a small, relatively small number of people getting together and building something incredible on Web3, we don't really need to win over the whole world right now. And by pushing and embracing Web3 and pushing it to the front, you actually attract a certain type of user. And we're okay with that because as a DAO, we need that kind of big brain, kind of hands-on type of mentality if they're going to actually, if we're going to have a successful DAO and, and get the best of, of everybody. So yeah, we definitely are glad with the decision we've made. And I know it's not for everybody, but I really can't get behind the play to earn games that are like, look and feel like a normal, you know, carbon copy web two game, traditional game. And they threw in a couple NFT rewards on top or something like pretty thoughtlessly. So that would not inspire me to pick up the game and play. But but I think what we're building, it's nice to see that it's not that we're the only ones either. I mean, I'm sure you guys talk to others that are building for people that actually just love NFTs and, and want to learn about crypto. So Yeah. I mean, in the phase of the adoption curve, either way, there that's part of it. You know, you've got to have that part of it. So, you know, we talked about all the things that can be done with NFTs and, and sort of financial instruments and things. How can NFT lending open up a kind of a sharing economy and, and unlock accessibility in, in your opinion? Yeah, this is one of um, the coolest things we've shipped in the last few months. So just before the Gotchaverse went live, we shipped our lending contracts. And this was huge because we spent a lot of time looking at the like the scholarship program that Axie kind of innovated and YGG innovated on. And so that was a way for people to to kind of lend out their axes or their gameplay items to other players, right? It came with this kind of other type of friction. Like you had to almost like verify or somehow win over your sponsor, right? And you'd be the scholar and they'd be your sponsor, that kind of thing. You'd, you'd literally beg for a scholarship on Twitter all day. You'd see that all the time. We didn't want anything like that. And we thought it could scale so much better if you abstracted away. That's something we do want to abstract away is that middle layer of kind of HR bureaucracy. And so just make it trustless, get it on chain. How could we do it? And so our lending is literally these smart contracts. You go into a P2P marketplace and it's basically the sharing economy on chain. But instead of like doing an Uber to get a car, you're doing Uber to get an Avogachi for four hours so you can go play in the Gachiverse and play to earn. And so literally I own some Avogachis. I can choose to lend it out. I set the duration I set, uh, there's literally a pie chart and I say how much of the earnings will go back to me, how much stays with the borrower. I even have a third wallet. If I'm a guild, I can direct some of the rewards directly to a treasury wallet. And then I can even select like, if I don't want to share ghost tokens, I only want to share the play to earn uh, tokens. We call those Alchemica. We put all that in just four or five parameters. And then you hit send, do the transaction, boom, your gotcha is listed in this uh, play to earn marketplace. And then people come in all day, they borrow out these uh, gachis. It's awesome. Like when it, when the time expires, the owner can come in and claim rewards and return their avagachi. And so there's no risk of them running away with your NFTs. Everybody agrees to the terms very transparently. And it's been huge for us to uh, help get more players onboarded in a, a sometimes no cost upfront way. The owner can choose to just lend it freely with just a split. Or they can put a small or large upfront cost on borrowing that particular Avogachi. What, what, what do Avogachis run for these days? The floor, it's gone up a lot lately once people realize that their Gachis can like passively earn stuff while they sleep. They are going for about, I think, eight or 900 Ghost right now. And Ghost is like $1.80 JHST token. So it's around two thousand dollars, probably just under two grand. All right. I mean, that's that's affordable for for you know a long term pet that actually it doesn't die, you know, which is one perk, you know, so that you know kinship can continue for your whole life, right? You did bring up a, one of the more oh. interesting features. They can die. They um, can die. All right. <laughs> but only it's not because you didn't feed it or you didn't pet it. It's only if you choose. There's actually this really cool feature of sacrifice. And if you sacrifice your gachi, <laughs> you can do it and it will burn the NFT. It will transfer all of its XP that it's accrued to any other Avogachi you choose on chain. So you can point your XP to another. There's an XP leaderboard. Let's say you're trying to climb that leaderboard. You can actually take out your low-end floor gachi and direct all that energy to your favorite gachi. 
it's the opposite of breeding. You know, one of the most out, like we always get asked, is there a breeding mechanism? And we're like, no, there's a sacrifice mechanism. It's, <laughs> I it's love deflationary. <laughs> I love how dark and, and like, what do you call it? Like ritualistic. <laughs> it's like, I'll eat the heart. Of my <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a little bit of edginess under their naive, happy uh, surface. Yeah. There you go. On. You've been in this space a while, Jesse. Would love just your perspective on what other NFT and Web3 projects inspire you these days outside of the ones you've already mentioned. Yeah. I mean, the most recent timely has got to be on-chain chain. Um, I always like, just like with Avogadro or Avastars, we're always looking for like on-chain NFTs. I think those just... You can sleep well at night knowing they'll test, do the test of time. They'll be around. As long as that chain exists, they're going to exist. And on-chain chains are these really cool on-chain kind of voxel art wearables. Maybe you guys have seen them. And they're like, the, the play is they're going to be interoperable with a lot of these different metaverses and different avatars. So you can get like a big gold medallion to put around, hopefully your Avogachi someday or any of your other, they're partnering with like Decentraland and a lot of the other metaverses, crypto voxels. So yeah, that's, it's kind of a very, you know, Rizzle and a couple other guys are building that as some of the most OG guys in the space. So I picked up a few of those the other day, pretty excited about what they're doing. And so I think interoperability plays are going to be really big right now. All these metaverses are incentivized to be in their own silo. And even us, like we want to build up our user base, right? We want to deliver value to people and attract them to our, our particular virtual world. But at some point over the next couple of years, there's going to be a kind of consolidation period or something where the incentives flip and it's time to start connecting and making those connections. And so, A, we want to build our kind of infrastructure to be able to facilitate that. But we also, it's cool to already see some of these projects leading the way and it's coming in the form of wearables like on chain chain. We'll definitely check that out and for our listeners will as well. We did a fun little collab with DressX for NFTLA where there was a QR code on our limited edition hoodies that some folks got. And, you know, that allows you to have a virtual hoodie as well. And, you know, shout out to those guys. I, I think this is the type of stuff that's really fun and, and also, you know, really opens up the space to, to curiosity and connection among folks that maybe wouldn't have been into it. You know, fashion has always been around, will always be around. And, I think it's evolving with the space. So Ethan, what do you think? Should we peel back the curtain a little bit and, and do a little quick demo and show people what's going on in Agachi yeah. verse right now? I, I wanna I'm curious what Agachis are, are running around at this moment. Oh, nice. Okay. So for the listener here, Jesse's uh, sharing his screen and we got this kind of cool, like almost like a pink and purple pastel 80s-ish pixel art crew of little bouncy fun characters so he's opened the website and he's going to give us a little bit of demo it says i've got you an open source community owned nft gaming protocol enabling true asset ownership for gamers and yep. take me down the rabbit hole which we talk about a lot yeah yeah gotta embrace that there's always these rabbit holes right the first thing i'll mention is yeah you you arrive at avagachi.com and you see all these little avagachis floating there if i hit refresh which i think i'm safe to do you'll notice all the avagachis change and that's because we're highlighting here that we're pulling from the on-chain smart contract, the Polygon smart contract we deployed. These are real Avogachis live, how they're currently dressed by their owners. If we click on any one of them, we can go learn about that particular Avogachi in another tab. So um, nice. it's really cool in that sense that this is all live and dynamic data. Yeah. And it's bringing the web to web three together in a very seamless way. Yeah, you'll notice we haven't even connected our wallet yet. So it's really important you can kind of get to know Avagachi even before you have downloaded MetaMask or whatever it may be. So oh, yeah. you get a nice little tour here. Like we say, there's it shows a big bounce in Avagachi and it says, these are yield generating NFTs that double as digital pets. Take care of them and they will take care of you. And uh, we truly, truly believe that. So yeah, and then it kind of goes through how the protocol has all these different things being built, some of them by Pixelcraft, but others not. So there's tons of analytics tools, mini games, arcade games being built by the community on top of what we're doing at Pixelcraft. So yeah, very, very nice kind of, but I think what we want to do is a demo of the Gachiverse, right? That's like the big thing. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll click try it now. And just while you're doing that, I will say, I do love that it's not like 
annoying us with you've got to connect your wallet to get started and like especially for those folks who aren't sure maybe haven't heard of it that it's new they don't might feel uncomfortable connecting a wallet there is so much you can do and that makes total sense right you can read from a smart contract you know that's publicly available information show those avogachis interchange them it has nothing to do with that particular person's wallet which is really cool yeah now you guys can see this right we're loading and heading into the portal door yeah it was like you know, going through, what was that show? <laughs> the show at Quantum Leap, if anybody remembers that. That was like way back. There's a show called Quantum Leap where this guy traveled through time and there'd be like a portal that would open up or something. Kind of looks like a time travel portal. Yeah, it's, this is a dimension bouncing portal here. We're in the Gachiverse realm now. And you can see my on-chain Avagachi art. We have it from all four sides saved in the smart contract. So I think we're the first project to do that. It's not just the PFP straight on. Mm. But all four angles are coded into that smart contract for your Avogachi each time. Is there a 3D corresponding asset at this point? Or is it kind of the four angles? No, it's not 3D yet. But we have some partnerships that are like playing around with 3D versions and stuff. It's totally doable. It cool. just hasn't been a priority. Yeah. So what we have in the Gachiverse is kind of this, I think of it as like 1990s Legend of Zelda, top-down RPG, but like kind of psychedelic, right? It's got all these bright purples and grid lines and vaporwave. Basically, we kind of, from a design side, aesthetic, decided that it shouldn't look like any game you've really seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of those like Farmville looking type of Web3 games right now. And again, it's like, if we're going to build something different, and it's almost like its own new genre, then we should have a visual element that reflects that. So that's why it's kind of this bizarre, murky, vaporwave looking world. Yeah, it's like an outer space you know, matrixy kind of thing, almost Tron-ish, but not. Yeah, it's it's very, it definitely has its own unique character. I agree. Yeah. Well, this is a nice sort of sneak preview, but people really need to like, you know, go to the website and play around and really get into it, right? Yeah. And so the last thing I'll show you here is that if you're looking at this Whoa. world, what is you've that? got... It's kind of an <laughs> interesting head. <laughs> yeah. We, we're, you asked about 3D. And so the world is actually all 3D. And then the pixel Avogachis are these little pixel guys living in a 3D world. That was really tricky from a designer's point of view for our team to kind of mash up. But I think we've pulled it off in a good way where you'll notice the space looks very open. We're going to let the players fill this in. It's like a coloring book. We're creating the framework and then user-generated content is going to fill the majority of this world in. And you do that by crafting items. So instead of minting an NFT, uh, you open up your crafting table and you take different combinations of these ERC-20 tokens and you actually craft the various NFTs that you want to have. And then it, it mints them on chain, of course. It is minting. But it's the way you get to the minting is the interesting part. So think Minecraft crafting table or Clash of Clans and yeah, put together this, some um, cool recipes. This is all reinforcing my theory that the best way to kind of find out what's going to be cool in Web3 is just to consider what a four-year-old would enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crafting, it. coloring. <laughs> exactly. I'm talking about coloring books Aids. and crafting. Yeah. It's gonna... <laughs> Feeding your pet. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty consistent. Cool, man. Well, we could sit in here for weeks, I think, especially me and Josh, we would, we would, we're going to go deep after that. <laughs> yeah. We'll pull in $2,000 out of our wallets. Yeah. <laughs> let's cancel all of our meetings, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> like wipe the slate clear for the next 12 hours. Yeah. Maybe our next conference is going to be in the Gachiverse. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA, let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. 
Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white label marketplace, as well as their highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as whether scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Let's get into Edge Quick Kitters. Jesse, this is just a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. We do this for every guest. There are 10 questions. We're looking for just a short, single or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Usually our partner, Jeff, who's lost his voice today, is the one who asks these questions. So Josh and I will alternate. Lucky us, we get to actually ask the Edge Quick Hitters. <laughs> so first question I'll ask here, what is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life? Oh, not an NFT. You mean in my life? Anything. Yeah. Hmm. Your four-year-old self as we... Honestly, probably, yeah. Around, I guess I would have been out five. Going into town with dad to buy Super Mario Brothers 3. That was Mm. like a big, big deal. Mm. We had an NES. I think um, my older siblings had like, you know, duck hunting that stuff. But that was the one where like, it was like a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I just remember waddling in there and being so, so excited for that bright yellow box. Super Mario 3. Nice. That's very fitting. And I just have to say, this bring back memories for me. I had the Nintendo system, like the original one. And I just remember I was a pretty good kid. I never got punished, like hardly ever. But my mom sent me to my room one time for something. I don't even remember. And I asked if I could play video games in there. And she said, yes. And I was like, this is like the best punishment. <laughs> and I was, I just remember playing Duck Hunt. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that was That's... a good one too. So, okay. Next question. What's the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? Oh man. Okay. Always been a bit of an entrepreneur. I remember literally first grade. I didn't live in town. I lived outside of town. So my buddy, we linked up. He had a place on prime real estate, corner of downtown, like all the bicycles go by, all our classmates. So he agreed with me that, you know, during our arts and craft hour at school, we would make comic books. We'd like sketch our own little characters and stuff. Mm. And we get the stapler out and make these little comics. And so my Zippy comic, we had a stack of them. I think I must have been making them a whole semester. I don't know. We had a ton of inventory. And so we set up shop on the weekend on his corner and we cleared it out. I think we made like 20 bucks that day, you know, selling at a 50 cents each or something. Incredible. Zippy comic? Yeah, it was Zippy. That's that that was my character. That was my first character. My first IP. Do we have any Zippy NFTs? No, not let's currently. do it, brother. Sign us up, man. I'm, yeah, I'm getting my there's, there's <laughs> something there. I mean, that's certainly more novel than the lemonade stand. So, so kudos there, man. The lemonade stand with with paper and staples. Yep. There you go. <laughs> what is the most recent thing you purchased? Probably that on chain chain. That was a good one. So, got that the other day. I think it was my third one. So, I'm, I kind of have a problem forming. But yeah. A little bit of alpha there for our listeners. And what is the most recent, although it's not financial advice, what is the most recent thing you sold? Sold? Probably, you know, I spend most of the time in our marketplace called the Bazaar and I'm only a buyer. I can't sell. So (laughs) I'm not allowed to sell there. I I don't even want to. I just stake it or keep it. So I don't think I've, I honestly don't know. I haven't sold anything lately. Renting? Yeah, I'm just lending. That's what I'm lending. Doing. There I'm go. lending that my counts. gotchas. We'll count it. We'll count it. All right. Next question. What is your most prized possession? Oh, man. My most prized possession, like as a material thing, would have to be, well, this Miami Beach mug has been up there recently. That's been my go-to since I got to go to the NFT Miami. But seriously, probably my Let's get my this ledger. man an NFT LA mug. <laughs> yes. I have a bit of a mug collection. It's true. But yeah, the ledger would technically be, right? So. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 
All right. This one's fun. If you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience that is currently for sale or purchasable, what would it be? I think NFT-based tourism would be something really cool to get into. And I just randomly, based on what you said, sounds like somewhere my mind went. So that would be really cool. Like, you know, an NFT really is only the value of it is whatever experience it gives you. So you're either building something special to experience in your web browser or online, but there's eventually somebody's going to get some of these in real life crossovers done right. And uh, yeah. tourism could be a way. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't forget who it was, but yeah, I know somebody's working on that. Hmm. Quite a few projects sort of surfacing in that area. It makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a great use case. I'm sure you could add some creativity to whatever they're doing or you know, partner with them in some way. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Oh, man. Maybe curiosity. I just always try to be curious and open-minded. So no maxi here. Like Bitcoin's awesome. I love it. But when Ethereum, that, that's awesome for different reasons. I can love that too. NFTs, love that too. Like you have to be discerning, but it's definitely good to be curious. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Oh, man. Well, um, I guess just be a little less shy. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit shy. So could, could do with less of that. There you so go. We can, we can sacrifice shyness at the altar and turn it into enthusiastic exuberance or something like that. <laughs> You know, the problem is when you asked me that question, my mind literally went to the Avogadro traits. <laughs> so it's like spookiness. I could turn down my spookiness. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, well, uh, we're glad you can you're, you can tone down your shyness enough to come on a podcast. That works. And I suppose it kind of just feels like it's just the three of us anyway. So uh, that's right. That's good. All right. So uh, last two questions. These are easy ones. As long as you have memory cells in your brain. <laughs> what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Oh, that's easy. Just came out of another meeting with the Pixelcraft team. In this case, it was dev day. So we did back-to-back-to-back meetings with front-end, Solidity, and then the Gachiverse Realm team. So busy day. Hard to work. All right. Last question. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Lunch. It is time. So... Right. I, sometimes I do intramural intermittent fasting and I don't even mean to. So that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. I'm having my bulletproof coffee. What's for lunch today? Probably a turkey sandwich and right back to calls. <laughs> I think we just accidentally got our, another interesting idea for some sort of interactive intramural fasting NFT project. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> How does it actually turn out? I mean, I think that new Stepin project is pretty fascinating, right? That's mm-hmm. cool. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in that in that role of people earning, you know, for working out, for being more conscious individuals. That's a great incentive mechanism. Totally. Yeah. As long as they get those tokenomics right, it can totally work. I'm down with it. So up next, we are on to our hot topic segment. So we'll flip over to that real quick and then we'll come back and, and walk it out with Jesse. So let's check that out. For today's hot topic, we got something really fun for you. NFT traders out there. His name is Chris Boundikas. He's the founder and CEO of Quoth. Quoth is the only place where you can get rarities within hours of minting and metadata tracked dynamically for free. With the Quoth platform, you can search, authenticate, and bridge any NFT. Chris has been here in crypto, in Bitcoin since day one. He's been doing a lot of fun stuff with mining, founded and sold some companies, and now has moved from Canada to Anguilla. It's really great to have you here, Chris. Welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So let's start talking about this kind of real-time rarity function that you guys are going to have here. What does that exactly mean? How do we access this real-time rarity? Yeah. So, you know, as you know, new mints, the challenging part about them is that they need to pay you know, other rarity sites in order to to get the rarity. It takes a long time, sometimes up to weeks. And your community is just sitting there after the fact, you know, not knowing what to do. And artificial intelligence platform, one of the things that we offer is a real-time rarity. We're compiling a, an entire index of all NFTs in existence, and we can give that real-time rarity score within hours. 
of Mint, and there's a lot of new projects uh, signing up with us and and partnering with us uh, for this reason. Very cool. I want to step back a second. How did the kind of idea germinate here? You know, was it you? Was it a, a friend that had the tech, or and how long has it been in the work? Yeah, its iteration of it was in the works for quite some time. Back in 2017, I actually started. We started coding the back end with Ethereum. And this might date myself, but back then, which is crazy, it's not too long ago, right? Gas fees went from from 20 cents to two bucks overnight. And we were all just like, what just happened? Crypto's dead. We're not going to be able to run a business like this with input costs, you know, overnight. At the time, I wanted to index every quote in exam, you know, famous quotes. I wanted to index that for for academia, kind of trademarking that. Social media is kind of make a mockery of, of quotes these days, misquote, you know, authorship. And we just shelved it. And it wasn't until we found Binance Smart Chain, where we could do things basically for free on the transaction side that we brought growth back in and said, instead of every quote in existence, the NFT world needs this right now. We need authentication. We need a search protocol. We need infrastructure for NFTs. So we shifted and started to build this out about a year ago. And that's kind of how it came to be. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I can think of so many times the last year where I could have used this technology. It would have either, you know, there's one time where actually I'll tell this story because you got to share the good, bad and the ugly if you're in this world, right? Where I sold an an NFT pre-reveal because I was like, you know, what are the chances I get something really juicy? But in fact, it was one of the juiciest strawberries there were. And someone scraped the metadata and knew about it before the reveal had actually happened. And they profited by this arbitrage of pre-revealed data. So I'm feeling like maybe I would have been a little bit more patient and waited you know, for the reveal and use your tool if it was out there. Because you want to make those quick decisions with data as quickly as you can, but you don't want to make the wrong decisions to to either, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, as the space progresses and this type of infrastructure gets put in place, you know, the tools are there. How long ago was that? Oh, man, that that was a while ago. That was before some of the tools that are even available now, like the Chrome extensions and everything. Right. I don't know. It's all a blur. All of last year is pretty much a blur. (laughs) Right. It's a good blur. Just mint, sleep, eat, mint, Mm -hmm. podcasts, you know. It's all a big schmear of of vanilla frosting. You know what I mean? That's that's what I think. (laughs) But, but, you know, let's dive in a little bit more, Chris. It seems like you're in your closed beta launch time, which is really exciting. What's going on there? How are you sort of getting ready for prime time? So our closed beta launch right now is being shared with uh, select NFT partners that we've onboarded. Fishbase Mafia, Subducks, uh, we have a whole list of uh, NFT partners. And basically their communities help us out by training our neural nets for the artificial, uh, artificial intelligence. And they just do a simple CAPTCHA search phrase like Subducks red background, enter. And if a Subduck comes up with a black background or a, or a non-red background, they could just click the frowny face and that's all they got to do. And that trains our neural nets to think about the backgrounds and to do different types of stuff after that. And for that, the community gets, uh, you know, tokens and NFTs and, you know, they get rewarded and it meshes our communities. They're helping us, we're helping them. And that's kind of where we're at right now as far as training those, the deep, deep search and advanced search that we're trying to do with NFTs. So is it clear in order to be part of the closed beta, you have to have owned one of the NFTs of the collections that you've partnered with? Is that how it works? Yeah, as of right now, correct. Cool. So, but which somebody... Is cool which is cool because we're adding utility to NFTs as well, right? It's, it's kind of cool when they're, you know, colorful, colorful JPEGs, but... You know, in order to participate, yeah, you got to buy one or, or be holding one in the wallet. So if somebody could go out, they could get a SUP duck and then they could enter the the community. They would find out about it in, in your Discord or something, the way to go ahead and do that? 
Yeah, in our Discord, pretty active on Twitter as well, but Discord starting to slowly pick up as we onboard these different collections and, and we're doing lots of AMAs and stuff like that. Cool. And then this is all leading to the public beta launch. Can you tell us about kind of the plan of action, how that's going to happen and, and what to look forward to there? Yeah. So after you know we've really trained these neural nets, it's going to give users a, a deep deep search function functionability on on the search alone and we want to open it up after that and you know to for it to be as accurate as as humanly possible and that's about one to two months out depending on the speed of on these partners and communities and how fast we really you know fast and and how accurately we really train these neural nets and after that it's we open it up, the, the AI takes off, does its own thing, and, and it, it's kind of self-sufficient on autopilot after that. And at that point, is somebody going to, what NFT are they going to need to be a part, to use the public, right? At this point, it will be, no, at this point, it, it should be uh, free. Uh, we're not charging anything at this point to use our service and to do research on it, search NFT collections were onboarding for free for rarity, real-time rarity. And we're just looking for eyeballs right now. We raised some money and we're looking to gain a massive community. The tools that the community actually wants and that can use them help, you know, with the research, with sniping, with we got a whole whack load of bells and whistles that are going to start to to kind of, you know, really change the way people do, you know, buy and sell NFTs. Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. Sure. You know, there's a lot of bells and whistles that peep. So when we do these EMAs, you know, we reach out and say, listen, if there's something missing in the NFT world right now, you know, what is it? What do you want? What can we build into our system that's going to help you do better? You know, a lot of people, the, the biggest one was I work all day. I don't have time to sit in front of, you know, rarity tools or see these mints or whatever, you know, can I get notification on mints coming up? A, B, in a certain collection I'm in, if an NFT drops below floor price or drops to a certain price, can I just automatically buy it or be, or be sent an SMS notification or, or something like that? And, uh, you know, we are building those types of tools. We're also building way more advanced tools, you know, limit orders. So if something does drop below a certain price range, it can automatically buy it for you, you know, with certain parameters in place. So lots of cool different stuff like that. Um, we're building in we're building an OTC trade desk. So I don't know if you saw, I don't know if that was last week or the week before, a guy basically tried to make a trade over the counter with some guy he met online and he just didn't do his due diligence and he gave away all his board apes. Half a million dollars worth of NFTs just went, you know, they're gone. The guy scammed them. He thought he was getting different uh, board apes or something in in return, but the scammer was too smart. He just took a, a Photoshop of the of the watermark, and that was it. He lost everything. So we're making an actual authenticator that can bring two parties to the table and make a trade to one another, but it's going to be authenticated with the right metadata, the right due diligence, and all that automatically if they just you know press the button. This is good stuff. Chris, my birthday is in July. I'm hoping that all of this is out in time for me to mint some birthday NFTs. Nice. July, what month? We're we going in May, June, July. I'm a cancer. I'm a little bit sensitive. I apparently am a homebody, but that's not quite true. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, I hate the commenting on timelines, but we're trying to move as quickly as we can. Our dev team is extremely talented. We've got eight AI devs and seven front-end Solidity full-stack devs. So we're we're trying to get through this as quickly as we can. Well, Josh, you know, thanks for giving a little bit of a nudge there. Now, if Chris doesn't have a birthday gift for you on your birthday, uh, it looks like it's going to have a gift for our listeners. So <laughs> maybe that's actually a nice transition. That should be available pretty soon, you know, around the time of the release of this podcast. So we talked a little bit, we twisted his arm and we got him to give away around 10,000 Quoth token. Is that right? Right, Chris? Or did you say 10 and I'm just like making it bigger? A thousand dollars worth of Quoth token. At today's prices, you're, you're about 10,000 10, tokens. 
Very cool, man. That's very generous of you. So our uh, listeners can look out for that on our socials or Twitter, especially uh, enter the contest and we'll distribute those in a fun way. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, like what's next, man? How do our listeners stay in touch with you? Hopefully they'll find you in our discord, which Ethan will send you the link to join. But outside of, of that and our next NFTLA, which I hope you join us again, where else can people find you on the dark or the the light web? We've got uh, Discord slowly getting a little bit more active. We're pretty good on Twitter with releases of news and, and updates. LA was great. We had a great time, great crowd. And we most likely might be going to NFT in New York in middle of June. So that hasn't been decided on yet, but mostly. Cool. We'll see you there. And so then on socials, it's just quote. Q-U-O-T-H or what's the tag? Uh, Q-U-T-H underscore A-I. Perfect. Website is quoth.ai and all our socials are kind of on the footer uh, on there as well. Rock and roll, man. Well, after our full recording today, we will come back and we'll start. Josh and I are going to bug you about a lot of stuff here. Unfortunately, made a few new annoying friends. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. All right, Jesse, we are back, my friend. And it was so great to have you on the show. This has been a really expansive, mind-bending conversation. I hope people have a chance to check out the YouTube version as well of this uh, podcast, see the demo, and maybe get excited to jump into Avagachiverse. And where can listeners go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on? Yeah, I'd suggest avagachi.com. That's spelled with two A's. You'd be surprised how many people, you know, the A-V-E is spelled one of our top search results. So A-A-V-E-Gachi.com. The landing page will show you the way to all our socials, our Twitter, our YouTube channel, has a lot of video guides, great content for onboarding. And yeah. And one thing I just to point out is I think we addressed it, but everything's on Polygon. So if you do want to lend an Avagachi and just borrow one, try it out. You don't even need Ghost. A lot of them are being lent for free. You just need a little bit of that Polygon gas. So 0.01 Matic and you're good to go. And you can literally try it out that easily. Very cool. And it looks like we are doing a really cool giveaway. Thanks for that. So we got 20 drop ticket NFTs. Can we use to enter Avogadro NFT raffles to win portals and Realm land parcels? Well, that sounds really exciting. Any color to add to that giveaway? Yeah, just we didn't even have time to cover those today. But one of the longest standing things in the Avogadro community is our raffles. We partner with Chainlink VRF. So they're random number, transparently done uh, raffles on chain. And um, they're super cool. We do them just about quarterly. So actually, this is a good time to start getting some drop tickets because we haven't yet announced what the next raffle will be. But typically, they're for wearables, and and you can only get them through the raffles. So it's a really great way to reward long-term stakers of the Ghost Token, and in this case, listeners of this program. Well, thanks for that. I think that's a wrap. Ethan, take us home. Let's walk it out here. So, okay. We have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks, everyone, for exploring with us. We've got space, though, for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. You can also come and participate in edgeofnft.com slash discord and get to know the community. Jesse will be in there as a with a special podcaster tag. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. And thanks for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.